Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub podcast. This week's guest is my new favorite person, Jet Setting Jasmine. Aside from a porn star, she is a therapist, a sex educator, a fetish expert, and of course, a mom. Um, As someone who is a big fan of sex work, porn stars, and therapy, as you can imagine, um, I had a lot of questions to ask Jasmine. Also, as a mom, um, I wanted to ask her what exactly makes a fetish a fetish? Like what differentiates a fetish and just something you like? Uh, how do we decide what's unethical? Or um, how do we know if we're just kink shaming? Can a polyamorous person be in a relationship with a monogamous person? Or is that relationship totally doomed? What is the psychology behind scat play? <laughs> How do we best talk to our kids about porn, whether we're in it as performers or producers, or if we are just consumers? Um, how can we unlearn all the shame we were taught around sex? Me specifically, I had a lot of shame around masturbation and sex growing up. Um, and that's something I definitely don't want to pass on to my child. Um also, Jasmine tells us what is the secret to happiness in her eyes. And I happen to totally agree with her answer. Um, so without further ado, here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So Jasmine, you're a psychotherapist, a sex educator, a porn performer, a fetish expert, a mom. <laughs> Those are all like... <laughs> individually they'd be like very demanding careers and i'm sure i like probably missed some stuff those are the main ones though those are the main ones <laughs> <laughs> they are demanding aside from the side hustles um yeah. but like what i mean i guess like i guess my first question is like what came first oh that's a good one so of all of those things that you listed mom came first um i had my first my my first child when i was um 19 going on 20 and i was in college and, um, so they've been, you know, and then my second daughter followed to, you know, uh, three of three years after and, and, um, and so, yeah, but that came first. So I became a therapist thereafter and I was dabbling a little bit in, in sex work, um, more, you know, sort of for fun. And then for like a couple of dollars here and there at a couple of strip clubs, that type of thing, um, just really touch and go. But it really wasn't after I, I had like my formative formative career as a psychotherapist that I decided that I wanted to explore my own sex and sexuality, um, which really blended itself nicely with the work that I was already doing around intimacy and medical um, medical medical and mental health care. And just to actually get like you know, there's always people who are talking about sex and sex work and expression of sex, but don't have the lived experience. Um, of doing that. And I really wanted my own personal lived experience and um, I wanted to monetize your, it. Were a lot of your clients like mm-hmm. people in the sex space or no. like in the adult space? No. Um, early on in my career, I focused on, um, I worked with the, so the span of the scope of people that I've worked with has been children with autism. Um, and then I moved into, I have a degree in gerontology as well. So I moved into working with older adults. So I was really working with people at two extreme um, spaces, children with uh, mental health disabilities and adults that were nearing end of life. And 
I'll tell you, if nothing else, working with all of those populations, and I spent a, a large amount of time working with veterans as well, um, is that what I learned is we all have n- intimate needs from children with disabilities, you know, needing appropriate touch and close contact and finding out ways to love, um, express love and admiration in a way that's socially appropriate and acceptable, going through those developmental stages of like hormones, right? And, and the same things that typical children experience, so do children with disabilities and how the healthcare system supports it or in actually more cases does not support healthy mm-hmm. sexual behaviors. And then seeing the exact same thing in mm-hmm. our medical setting with older adults who, again, need that touch, intimacy, privacy, uh, and, and realizing that our healthcare systems and our caregiving systems are not set up for that level of, um, that level of care, that human, that full comprehensive mm-hmm. human care. So that really became a huge driving factor around my mm-hmm. work around sex education and intimacy. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like my, so one of my best friends in the world is a therapist and she told me this interesting, she brought us something and I've been in therapy like my whole life. I'm mm-hmm. from New York. So you know how it is, yeah, um, yeah. but, <laughs> but like, <laughs> So my friend, when she became a therapist, when, you know, she graduated school and did the whole thing, like she was practicing in the neighborhood that she lived in. Mm -hmm. And one interesting thing that she brought up was like, oh, now she can't really go grocery shopping in pajamas, for example, or she can't just like, you know, go on like a bunch of random (laughs) dates and like, you know, like there's a lot of behavior (laughs) that I guess we don't want to necessarily see our therapist Mm -hmm. engaging in. Um, so I guess, like, I want to ask you, like, did your career as a therapist and also, I guess, like your position as a mom, like, did that, did those things like make it harder for you to decide to go into sex work or like, was it this like long drawn out, like thought process or, or like, was Mm -hmm. it the opposite maybe or? Yeah, no, those are really good questions. So there's definitely stigma that's attached to being a sex worker. And there's also a lot of personal shame that I think a lot of therapists carry and are unable to work through their own shit because of Mm -hmm. this expectation of perfection uh, from their clients and the general public. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's really an unhealthy model for any profession to live by, because how am I going to help you be your true authentic self as I'm struggling with my own shame and stigma around my true authentic self. Mm -hmm. So it did become a personal decision for me that if I am going to be in this profession, I need to be in this profession as my full, my full self. Now that doesn't mean you should go advertising everything that you do, even though that I choose to. Um, I do think that therapists can show up as as who they are in their neighborhoods, in their communities, and they can draw some really strict personal and professional boundaries, which I do as well. Like I don't, um, you know, I don't provide therapeutic services to people that I work with. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a conflict of, of interest. It's it's um, a messy boundary, you know. It's the same yeah, way when sure. I talk, you know, talk to my girlfriends, there's, I never like take all the therapy stuff out of my brain, but I, you know, I will talk to them up to a point that I go, yeah, you definitely should talk to somebody, <laughs> somebody else about this. Right. Um, and so for me, it, the, there's definitely been stigma, but because no one like found out that I was doing this work, I've always been putting it forward 
you know, every step of the way, um, disclosing to my clients so that they are aware that kind of like, like your friend, if, if she said it on her first appointment, Hey, we live in the same neighborhood. So you may see me at the grocery store, um, with my pajamas and, and looking very different than I look in session, but I'm very much like you. I don't get dolled up to go to the grocery store, but I do get dolled up for our appointments. So, right. you know, if you see me, um, I may give you a gentle head nod and keep moving. And that's kind of how I explain to my clients who ma- majority now at this point are sex workers that we may be at a convention together, you know, or you might be listening to this podcast and go like, hey, I know that voice, but there'll be no shock. And no surprise, um, because we've already shared this information. We even have a plan that if me mm-hmm. being in your industry makes you uncomfortable or creates um, a issue with our therapeutic boundaries, let's have a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we really, it, it's it's been great to normalize my experience as a professional in more than one industry um, to my clients. It it allow gives them a model of what they could possibly do uh, in in terms of showing up as their full selves in in any capacity. As Mm -hmm. a mom, um, I know my my kids have been a part of this journey from from jump, like no no shock, no surprise there. I respect their boundaries. I don't go to their like school meetings, like, hey, sign up for my OnlyFans. Uh, (laughs) Or like, you know, right. Or like, if this school really wants a fundraiser, like let a sex worker do it, you know, like, no, it's like, I respect, you know, their boundaries. I respect the space that I'm in, but I don't hide who I am. And my children yeah. know that too. You know, if people ask you, what does your mom do? You can be honest and you can say she's a therapist. If you feel comfortable, you can say she's a therapist and a sex educator. Like you can determine what term feels the most comfortable for you. But please know that when you invite your friends over to the house, like I am not taking down my awards. I am not taking down, you know, like this is who, this is who I am. I love that. And like, actually your approach or not approach, but like the, the way your I guess your mentality on like the whole therapy and the sex work thing, like to me, that's exactly how I decided when I got pregnant, like I, I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to tell people like, what am I going to tell my kid? Like, am I going to have this kid? But ultimately like, it's exactly what you said. Like I wanted to show up as my true authentic self. And like, how am I going to raise a kid to be his true authentic self. If I'm not living my best life. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. so I, I guess it's like kind of, kind of the same thing. Yeah. It is very much the same that, and, and it's so personal of a decision Mm -hmm. that we make because you're the one who's going to bear the benefits and the consequence of that. And no Mm -hmm. one gets to make that decision for you. Um, and so I know, I, I knew like coming out as a sex worker, I had potential to lose my straight and narrow job. And um, in understanding that part of the, the same kind of advice that I give to sex workers now is diversify your skill set and your earnings. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that if I lost that, those golden handcuffs, as I call them, because that's what it felt like. Um, if mm-hmm. I lost that job, that I had a private practice waiting on me. You know, um, I had sex work. If if I lost access to serving a particular community, I also knew that my relatability as a sex worker and a performer mm-hmm. would open up the doors for me to provide services to other sex workers. 
I mean, I will say like even, you know, even just like within the porn industry, I think there's a huge need for more mental health counseling, just support in general, right? Like we, and it is hard to find like, you know, the last time I was, I've been with my current therapist for a while now, but like when Mm -hmm. I was, look, the last time I was looking for one, I had already been doing sex work for a while. And like, it was always the first thing I said, because like, if there's anything like it's not going to work. If there's work. any judgment about that, like I'm never going to be able to do this. No, and and so. there are so many, uh, so many performers that come to to come to me as a therapist, and they will say, um, "Yeah, I've been going to therapy for you know X amount of years, but I've never been able to tell my therapist what I what I do." And I'm like, "Then how are you even? Yeah, how are you? Yeah, because work is a huge, especially as a sex worker, work is such a huge part of our identity yeah. and." And a lot of our stressors, just like everybody else in the world, come mm-hmm. from our workplace and our work environment. So what are you talking about in therapy? Only like, what, 60% of yourself? Yeah. You know, no, that's, that's not healthy. No one should have to do that. No. Do you absolutely. do you think that there is like, are you like of the thought that like everybody can use therapy? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, so I think that there's like two approaches to therapy. Okay. First of all, I, I look at therapy as... Um, the same way you get your, like the same way that you go for any other healthcare routine, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's we're we're literally talking about like our emotions, our feelings, our brain, our behaviors, a huge component of, of how we move through, move through life. Like we're honestly the one, the one reason why we can move through life as the way that we do as humans, but we don't go for tune-ups on our brains the way that we do for like our teeth or our pap smear or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so I look at it as healthcare, and it really should be something that we we use mental health care as like preventative health care, mm-hmm. opposed to always like reactionary. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, you should be able to go into your therapist's appointment and say, like, everything is OK. I'm OK. But I, but I would like to talk about like. Uh, mitigating any future risk, or I'd like to talk about planning out what the next couple of weeks are going to look like or the next couple of years. It's okay to be okay and in therapy. Like that, sometimes people are like, nothing's wrong. That's okay. Like nothing's wrong with me, but they still need to be cleaned by a professional <laughs> in the next six months, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think I, I also, like, I also do couples therapy with my husband. Mm, and I think that, wonderful. like, even more so than my individual therapy, like, for us, like, we've been doing that since the beginning, and that's so preventative. And, like, that mm-hmm. has improved every relationship in my life. Like, I can just, imagine. I can't imagine like having children without doing some form of therapy. Like I, I just, I just can't like fathom it. I'm so glad that you can't because <laughs> you should. <laughs> I mean, it's so important, including family therapy. Like my, you know, my kids are, um, are also, uh, in therapy and nothing is wrong. You know, I, yeah, we want yeah, nor- yeah. to normalize mental health care. We want to give them a space to talk about us. Like we, we are a lively family. Like you should, like, if you live with me, you should be talking to somebody else. Too. <laughs> do you, wait, do you, like, now that you said that, do you think, because I always wonder this, like, do you think there's such a thing as like a person that doesn't talk about their parents and therapy? And, and like, I guess what I mean is like, I feel like, okay, like if you love your kid too much, you also run the risk of like smothering them, of being yeah, unprotective, yeah, of like, yeah. like, is there such a thing as a perfect parent no. that like, 
Okay. So if you're striving for perfection, either get ready to be disappointed or, or be ready to be tired as hell running in circles around something that doesn't exist. Um, But even then, like, I'm sure you would somehow not be showing up for your kid in that, in its own way. Right. Like, I'm sure like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like everyone I know talks about our parents and therapy. Yeah, so I can't. yeah, and they they do, they do, and even from even the even the folks that say, um, you know, like I had a really good upbringing. I mm-hmm. learned these values from my parents. My parent is a, a huge support. Like talking about our strengths in therapy are just as important as talking about our weaknesses and our challenges because that's the mm-hmm. hell how we're going to get through our challenges. You know, and sometimes yeah. it takes reminding people like. Hey, you said like your mom was a huge source of support the last time that you were feeling stressed. Have we had a conversation with her? So yes, moms come up, whether they are good moms, bad moms, alive moms, moms that have passed on, absent yeah. moms, like, and, and parents in, in general. Um, so yeah. I, I would like my kids to like process things, uh, process me being their mother now. Like, don't wait until you're 40. Yeah. And, all of my ways have like hurt your relationships. Like, no, do it now. (laughs) I think um, one of the most helpful things that I learned in therapy was like, I I love my mom. We have a great relationship. And like, you know, like I've been very, very lucky um, in Mm -hmm. the parents that I got, I guess, in this world. Um, But also like, I have so much shit to say about her. right? And I think one of the most helpful things I learned in therapy was like, just because I say the bad things that my mom like failed as a mother, it doesn't take away from like all the wonderful things that she gave me. Absolutely. And that's so helpful because like, Mm -hmm. I think like as, as kids, like there's definitely like, it's hard to talk shit about your parents. Oh, absolutely. Like we're going to, like, you think you're going to go to hell for it. Right. You think like, but be, trust like you're ungrateful. Exactly. And, and this is, you know, therapy is, is so cool because it really is the way I explain to my, my clients is like, I'm just a mirror to you. All I'm mm-hmm. doing is reflecting back the things that you're sharing with me, giving you some perspective, like ways to think about it, questions so that you can get further into those thoughts. Um, so this is not a space where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that about her mom. I, you know, if, if her mom knew she would like, no. And, and, and any good, any good therapist is going to recognize like, you're just creating a safe space for this person to talk about really like so many everything. angles. Yeah. So many yeah. angles of the same thing. So like in one breath, you're saying like, my mom is everything. I can't, you know, I can't, I couldn't ask for a better mother. And then in the other breath, you're saying, I wish that we did things this way growing up, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. As as someone who sees a lot of people in the sex work space, yeah. like as clients, like, mm-hmm. and maybe this is a really dumb question, but like, no. is there anything we all have in common? Like, is there is there like Ooh, one good- thing that like mm-hmm. binds us all, like that one little thing that like connects us all? Yeah, maybe in the way uh, that we were brought up, or. Maybe we're all narcissists. I don't know. (laughs) No, no, it's not even a, it's it's honestly not even a bad thing. I hear consistently and there's kind of two things. It's like Mm -hmm. people want to be heard. It's not even, not not even that they want to be right or that they, you know, they just want others to hear their point of view and to have a better understanding of who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with being able to articulate that and, or asking for that, like, 
like that, like I need us to pause for a second and I just need you to hear me, you know, and asking for that space, asking to really take up space. Um, and, and the other thing that comes up and, and this is kind of why I dedicated my, my life, my life work to intimacy in some form or fashion is that that's what people are craving more than more money, more than, you know, uh, a crazy, crazy ass career is that people are creating or desiring meaningful relationships. And when I say intimacy, I don't necessarily mean sex. I mean, like, you know, I think you, you and I, I, we talked about it a little bit when we um, last got together, just like sitting here and connecting with you over meaningful words is like, it's going to be important to me. How many people listen to this podcast? We, I may never, I may never know. It may never matter, but this moment is important to me. And, um, that is what I see more than anything. And, and that was from working with children to working with people taking their last breath on this earth is them asking for their loved one or reminiscing over a meaningful time in their life, not how much money they made and those type of things. So I think intimacy is such an important need of ours and it often gets overlooked because the most pressing thing is always like food, water, and shelter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which are incredibly important. But once you've sustained those things or you you've you have those things, it's like, okay, who do I want to share this food, water, and shelter with? What makes this, this home meaningful? So I think we all share that. Like we are some needy for love people. <laughs> do you think once food, shelter, water are covered, like the basic necessities, I guess you could say, like to survive, like do you think the key to happiness is intimacy? I do. I do. Yeah. I do personally. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely do. And we, and we see people, we see people, um, sacrifice food, water, and shelter for intimacy. When you think mm-hmm. about it, you know, even like dying in the name of love, right. You know, protesting mm-hmm. in the name of, of love and care for other people, we are willing to, to trade our lives for a certain level of intimacy, even the legacy of intimacy. So mm-hmm. I, I, that, that is definitely my personal belief, just kind of bleeding into my professional um, observations. I think that's like kind of the best way to say that. Yeah. In fact, like, you know, since I've been doing couples therapy, like one thing I really, that like we, it always, no matter what we're arguing about, whether it's the dishwasher or Mm -hmm. something big, like where we're going to live or like my career, whatever, Uh whatever we're arguing about, it always like, once we work it out and do the work, as you guys say, like, it always boils down to like, one of us is feeling like either we're threatened that we're not going to get the intimacy we want, or like one of us is not feeling hurt, like whatever it is, it always boils yeah. down to like lack of intimacy or the, mm-hmm. the, the fear that it's going to go threat. away. Yeah, yeah. you got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, I would love if that were like more normalized. And like, also, we really, I don't know, m- Maybe this isn't everyone, but I definitely grew up thinking like intimacy equals physical love, oh, of like course. sex. Yeah. And- mm-hmm. Most people do. And, and sex is a form of intimacy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly, it's not the end all be all. Um, it, and intimacy is like any sharing, any meaningful moment, thought, activity with another um, another person. So, yeah. um, and, and I love the fact that you said like, if we could normalize it, because if you kind of think back, like women are often told like we're needy, right? For Mm -hmm. wanting to like express our emotions or we nag when we're trying to Mm -hmm. be understood and or ask for our needs to be met. Um, Men are told like, you don't need anything. Suck it up. 
right? Deal. If you need something, get it yourself. Pull yourself up, you know, from, but like all of these sayings have been imprinted in our brains to the point that when we do have an emotional or an intimate need, it becomes really difficult to just utter those words for fear of being judged as one of those stereotypes, you know? Yeah, it's actually, yeah, I find it really that I've had a really hard time my whole life asking for intimacy and just like, it's the most vulnerable thing. And now that I'm in like what I consider to be like the healthiest relationship I've ever been in, like when one of us is vulnerable like that and does just ask for that kind of intimacy, like it's, it's crazy how much it softens the other person. Like, and you get, and you receive it. And it's like, like, you know, it that has a lot to do with how we feel about like, us being worthy, right? So like, can, mm-hmm. can I ask for this and receive it? If we're at a restaurant and we know we're paying, we're like, you know, like, of course, like my glass should never get empty. And, you mm-hmm. know, the should be doing all of these things because we, we feel like our work, not we, but, you know, people tend to feel like our worth is in something outside of us, like money. You know, um, I can Ooh. ask for whatever I want if I'm exchanging money with you, which, you know, we totally see that with our our clientele, you know, our our fans. Um, they have no problem asking things of us that they would not dare ask of their their significant other because there is this value outside of ourselves when it comes to money. But when, mm-hmm. when we think about like our emotional bank, like as far as I'm concerned, every time I, I sit down and I show up for my partner, I am increasing, you know, my my emotional bank. So there's this there's an there is an exchange of worth. Um and, and we just kind of have to get get past that. Like I am worthy of asking for the things that I want and even possibly getting them granted. Um but the the part and, and the other thing is too that kind of fear comes in is if I ask, what if the person rejects? Um, and, and, and I have to remind myself as well as a partner is that someone saying no doesn't necessarily mean that they're saying no to me. They're saying no to the ask. They're saying no to the thing that I'm requesting. They're not saying you're bad. You don't get any of me. They're saying, unfortunately, I'm unable to meet that request at this time, you know, and I gotta like, that's so hard though. (laughs) But that's the work, right? That's the work. This is yeah. <laughs> I think that's the scariest thing about any relationship at all. Even like I would say, even just like a casual hookup, like yeah, even Rejection. even like yeah, like even like like something I realized, you know, even after having been in porn for so long, like something I realized I'm really scared of asking is like if someone's like eating me out, like mm-hmm. it's a scary thing to be like, can you actually do it like this, like? Because of the fear of rejection or, you, you know, like but it, but the interesting thing is right on while you're having this thought in your head, like, gosh, like, I wish like, you know, they could just like go to the left or go to the right or like a little yeah. bit more pressure. And you're having this whole experience of like, should I ask, is it worth it? Should I just be happy? Like you said earlier, like I should just be yeah. grateful that their head is there. right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in their mind, they're thinking, am I doing this right? I wonder if, should I push a little further? Should I go a little back? I should just stay where I'm at and be happy that I'm here. Yeah. All of this is and happening. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's winning. <laughs> and nobody's winning. When we can really just say one of two things. One is, can you do X, Y, and Z, right? And then yeah. if not, 
I'll just keep getting what I'm getting, which I was going to get anyways, if I said nothing. And the other person might be, could be able to say, I really, this is them asking for what their want is. I really want you to tell me what to do. I really would like to know what would make you feel even better right now. Like that kind of language is that's still an S because you could be like, you know, like get up, just stop doing what you're doing. So I think we feel like we take such a big risk asking for what we need. Um, But the only thing that's on the other end of that ask is either a yes or more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. A yes or nothing changes, (laughs) which isn't so bad because you're already doing it. You're already doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess. And, and, you know, like you did this Instagram live with me like a week or so ago where like I ask people to give me their sex questions. And one of the things I get, I would say like almost half the questions are how do I ask my partner to do X, Y, Z, whether it's try pegging or watch porn Mm -hmm. with me or Mm -hmm. like, how do I tell them I have a foot fetish or whatever? Like, like that's, it's, it makes me so sad, but it's also like the most relatable thing ever because it's mm-hmm. so scary. But it like, mm-hmm. I, I can't even like, actually speaking of fetishes, like what, like, where do those come from? <laughs> it's a good question. Well, so- actually, so like when we talked, you told me something really interesting about like mm-hmm. the scat fetish, for example, yeah. that mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I always thought like scat fetish was like an obsession with like poop with shit, mm-hmm. like with mm-hmm. the actual poop itself. itself. Mm-hmm. But no, you explained to me that like, actually it's the act of shitting, right? And it's, yeah. it's the one, own, that- it's the, the ownership, mm-hmm. the marking of the territory mm-hmm. with like your own excrements. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is on the other end is like, what could be more degrading than mm-hmm. being someone's toilet, right? Mm-hmm. Or what could be more humiliating? Yeah. yeah. So like what, I guess, I don't even know where I'm going with, like, where do like, where do they come from? How does, how does that happen? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how? so, you know, everybody kind of has a really interesting exploration to, and, and discovery of their fetishes. Um, and just for, for the, the clarity, um, to those that are listening. So the, the, um, a fetish is the need for a sexual gratification, um, or the attraction to an object or any aspect of the body that is not being used specifically for procreation. So we're always oh. into fantasies. Yeah. So like if you're playing with my breasts and it has absolutely nothing to do with um, the, you know, I don't know, like the, like you're not like warming me up to procreate me. Like, yeah. Then you're, you're, you're exploring a fetish. It may not be well, your fetish. I guess technically like a blowjob. <laughs> Yeah, if that's your thing, if that's your thing to get your sexual gratification from it, you know, and I I think there's a clear delineation. Like sometimes we just try something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or sometimes we do an act, but we're not like crazy about it. It's like, I might come, Mm -hmm. I might not come. It's not, you know, but when a person is, is truly a fetishist about, about something, it's, it's really a necessity for them to have, to, for them to have that sexual gratification, not necessarily an orgasm, but. Okay. It's their thing. So that's the line. It's yeah. like when you need it. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. Need yeah. Okay. And so in, in total layman terms, I would just say like, it's your thing. You know, yeah. like <laughs> it's, it's your thing. <laughs> um, so where they're developed from, for a lot of, uh, for a lot of folks, they're de- um, their fetishes developed really early. I, I find it to be really interesting that when I ask people to like, when was the first time that you had this thought about, um, get, let's, let's talk about, give me one, one thing that you think like is a, a fetish. fetish. Okay. Um, I'll say, you know, when did you first de- de- determine that 
foot fetishes were your thing. Um, and they will say, you know, oh, you know, I, I had to be like in like middle school and we went to the beach and like all of the girls were running around and I was looking at their feet in the sand and I got excited, you know, and, and then it, then I wanted to see if I would get excited again and, and looked at other girls' feet at the, at feet at the pool. And, and then, you know, it just started to evolve. It's like, I love feet. Um, and so for a lot of people, it starts really young and very innocent, very outside of a sexual encounter. It's just like this naturally drawn attraction to a thing. Um, some people are introduced to it. I, um, well, I have done a lot of exploration where like doing like a spanking and someone going like, now I don't want to have sex without having a little bit of impact play. Um, so so it can that almost sounds like, I mean, that almost sounds like it's like, if it's between nature and nurture, it almost sounds like it might just be nature. And it just like one day it clicks. Yeah, it clicks. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think so. Um, you know, I think the, the difficult part about talking about fetishes in this way is that they have been, they've been um, stigmatized for like mm-hmm. literally in, in, in this book that there, this particular book that's right behind me here, it's an old, um, DSM. Well, it's a, yeah, old DSM. It's what's used to diagnose people. And fetishism has been in there, uh, for what? many, many years. Like it did like not a, get a mental health disorder. Yes. For like years. Uh, I think it may have, I, I don't, I don't get me wrong of when, when it, it was more recent than, than not that those things yeah. came out. They were all lumped together under things like pedophilia and bestiality. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and so because of that, I think fetishes are a lot more normal, um, that they are developed really early on and that people have been exploring them and, and in and out of different fetishes throughout their life. But there hasn't been space to talk about them without people saying like you're crazy or you are yeah. um, you're perverted. That's yeah. a, a word that often uh, you know goes or that you have some type of disorder. Um, but, you know, we having conversations like this. Porn performers being able to create content that speaks to their fetishes is is really bringing out the normalization and like safe like there can be complete safe practices of all types of fetishes as long as you're working with two consenting adults um, and you're being mindful of like the impact and the intention of what you're doing. You're leaving people who can't say no, children, animals out of it. Like play on, have a good time. Why not? I guess like are you. I I think like, do you like, where do we draw the line like between, I guess, kink shaming and Mm -hmm. like, what's just plain unethical? Like, yeah. And and do we draw like, is it even our place like as Mm -hmm. someone Mm -hmm. not like with that fetish to like draw that line? I don't know. Like I, I, I would like to think that like, there's, there's to me, like personally, just like mm-hmm. on a personal level, I feel like nothing should be off limits to fantasize about mm-hmm. or like play mm-hmm. out, like you said, as long as it's among two consenting yeah. adults. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's like, you know, rape play or whatever, I think like also a lot of us like play out different traumas in different ways. And like, but like, I so like where, how do we know where to draw the line? Like at what point is it kink shaming? And at what point is it like, no, that's mm-hmm. actually fucked up. Yeah. So I, um, I completely agree with you. I think that any and everything has, has a place in, in, in your, in your brain, in your mind, in your fantasies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is important that if those fantasies concern you, 
then yeah, they're worth definitely exploring. Like what's behind that? Why am I, am I processing trauma? Um, do I find this as a safe place to process trauma or is it re-triggering me? Are these spiraling mm. negative thoughts or are these really like turn on thoughts? So mm-hmm. I, I do think that that's very subjective to the person, but mm-hmm. um, where we, I feel like as a society to draw the line is on uh, consent. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, like people who can't say no, people who don't have the authority co- to consent. Children don't have the authority to consent. Um, mm-hmm. People, you know, who or like I mentioned, animals, any anyone that is hurting mm-hmm. themselves or someone else, that may be the, the best place to draw the line. And then more important, more importantly than than what we think of, like as let's say the outside looking in. If a person is experiencing their own fetish play and they realize that it's interfering with their day-to-day function. So let's just say, mm. you know, I have clients that have a porn porn fetish, right? Where it is at first it's like, okay, that's cool. Like that's that's how you get excited. That's how you like to experience your sexual expression. That's fine. But now you're starting to watch porn so late at night that you can't wake up in the morning for work. And and if you're late one more time, you're going to lose your job. And if you lose your job, you're going to lose your, that's when we're talking about things like addiction disorder and, and actually whatever your fetish or your behavior is, is having a negative impact outside of that behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that we would say to somebody who, I don't know, like, let's just say like smokes, um, smokes cannabis. If you're a cannabis user, it's like, it's legal and it's fine. No problem. But when that cannabis use is keeping you from being able to have a conversation with your children or your, or your family, your relationships are starting to suffer. That's when we need to start looking at it from the perspective of, is this now impairing your functional ability? That's That's when we have an issue. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, anything around sex is like, Yes. You know, it's a huge issue um, or we can't think outside of the, you know, we can't think in our normal progressive way yeah. of thinking about if something is a problem or not because it's sex. What do you think about like, like all the porn that's made of these like very, very specific mm-hmm. um, fetish that's like could be triggering to some, could be empowering to some. Like, I'm, I'm just going to throw out like rape yeah. play because I think mm-hmm. to me, it's like one of the most extreme forms of that. Mm-hmm. Personally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like, I definitely have like rape fantasies and stuff. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with like being a woman. My sexuality was suppressed, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I'm wondering like, and, and I, I don't know that I even have like a set opinion on this, but like, I'm wondering like, is it okay that that porn's out there if it's made by two consenting adults? Like, what is your opinion on that? That, that I, I share that opinion fully. Um, I think that uh, there is space for consensual, non-consensual fantasies to be played out um, mm-hmm. in real life and, and in entertainment. Uh, where it becomes dangerous is if people are doing it without, that are not trauma informed, right? So a trauma trauma informed performer production company director what have you is going to have like a pre-interview explaining mm-hmm. this is what we're doing um everybody on set wants to be here this is something that we're interested in blah 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 cuz we know it could potentially be triggering right and they're having a post interview a check in like this is a traumatic uh, potentially traumatic material i want to see like if i enjoy a rape fantasy video, 
I also need to close that fantasy out with knowing that the people are actually okay. It's kind of like when you watch a scary movie, I need to know that everybody is really not dead. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know so, so I think that is, is how we are responsible in creating these, this kind of content that might be triggering. That's I such an that, obvious answer. <laughs> like, well, you you're so think, right. Right. But no, I, I mean, so, it's not, it's not an obvious answer, but like when you put it like that, I'm like, duh, like that's so <laughs> obvious. And like, you know, a company like kink.com will yeah, always, always mm-hmm. do the pre-interview mm-hmm. and post-interview mm-hmm. and like kind of, I guess, wrap everything up in context yeah, so that absolutely. the viewer can feel, feel good about watching it mm-hmm. as well as the performer. Right. Um, and, and the for- performer knows that they are reducing as much harm as possible by being vulnerable and, and sharing. I like this. I wanted to do this. I'm okay. Even after we did this. Um, yeah. And I, I feel the same way about, you know, people ask me that question related to race play as well, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, so as, as, um, as human beings are not a fetish, right? So no matter how many times you probably get people saying like, oh, I have an Asian fetish, like, mm-hmm. no, you know, <laughs> you have a, a probably an unhealthy relationship with, um, with race. Um, but mm-hmm. you cannot be someone's fetish. I, as a black woman, cannot be someone's fetish. And that is, uh, that's unhealthy. That is where we draw the line. You can appreciate my skin tone. You can appreciate my features. Um, but to fetishize me is to dehumanize me because a fetish is an objectification. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. I, I never heard of it yeah. put, put like that, but that's so true. That's the ultimate objectification, and, right? And I kind of think about it. So, so my background, my mother is, um, my mother's from the Philippines. And, and um, so I remember that when the term, when we stopped using in this country, the term oriental, mm-hmm. um, right? So it's like, no. Oriental is how you describe an object, right? Like you are not. I, I literally thought of the same exact thing. Of course, of course, of course, right? So, will if if you look up things in porn right now, if your companies hopefully are 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 going back and changing things, um, mm-hmm. but you will see like Oriental fetish, right? It's like no, mm-hmm. like you're clearly objectifying a human. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um. So so, anyways, all all of that to say, people will ask me like, well, what about a race play where the person of color wants to be the um the submissive or or you know wants to act it out like this is their desire my mm-hmm. suggestion and and thought there is it is important for people who have been marginalized suppressed and oppressed to have freedom to have sexual expression experiences or like you said there's a lot of healing um even recreating traumatic experiences my my um the biggest part about that is allowing the person who has who is attached to that oppression and that trauma, even through generally generational trauma or their actual lived experiencing experience, allowing them to direct that space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't get to uh, say yeah. like, Oh, Asa, you know, we, sh- I, you know, we should really do um, Asian race play because mm-hmm. It would be really cool and it'll help you with your trauma as being an Asian American. Like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You should be coming to me saying, I would really like to experience this um, in a way that I find is going to be healthy and, and respect me. Because what we don't want to do is re-traumatize people who are vulnerable to, to trauma mm-hmm. related to, you know, race or, or any of these things. Yeah, that's actually 
that's been like a topic that comes up a lot lately. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Like even, you know, working for a company like Pornhub, like what should be allowed on Pornhub? Yeah. Obviously yeah. that's not my, like Department. I'm not that person at Pornhub. Oh man, if it was, we but, would be having a whole other conversation. <laughs> but like, I wonder, I do wonder like, like if, if like Asian race play, let's say, like, mm-hmm. should that be on Pornhub? Because if, if it's Asian people jerking off to it, like, Mm-hmm. Who are, who is anyone else to say you can't masturbate to that, right? Yeah, yeah. But so I love that mm-hmm. you said it should be in the control, the, the shooting of it, the production should be in the control of that marginalized mm-hmm. person. And I would even are- say like that should be the person monetizing on it, right? Like, oh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and here's the thing, the person that has the, had the lived experience is going to have the nuance and is coming into it trauma-informed to make certain that it's portrayed in a way that is actually beneficial and healing to them. Um, mm-hmm. So, and you know, in terms of like who gets to say what, I think the, the biggest thing is that we allow survivors, we allow people that are traumatized, we allow people that are marginalized, stigmatized, and all of those to have power in 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 those mm-hmm. um, in those settings. And I, I feel the same way about our clientele, right? So, who is our audience on Pornhub? Um, we do have a social responsibility for making sure that anything that we are producing and pushing forward is in the best health of our audience as well. Like we should Mm -hmm. care that we aren't creating content that is going to be hurtful to people. So how do we do that? We, we couch it with like things like the interviews um, or we couch it with making sure that the people who were actually doing constructing these ideas are the the Mm -hmm. people who have lived the experience or, you know, understand what that's like. It's almost like, I mean, in some ways, it's almost parallel to like any other entertainment industry. It's like we talk about cultural appropriation, like, oh, yeah. should, you know, white people really be making so much off of black music? Like, you know, right. it's kind of the same idea. But again, it's about sex. So we're all right. like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yep, you got it. Really interesting. So um, to make a little shift, you are um, famously in a porno relationship. You and your partner <laughs> are both in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys meet? How did you and King Nor meet? Just like this on a radio show. <laughs> what? We what did. do you mean? So we, we met on a, um, um, I had a podcast at the time. It was called the Emotion Picture Radio Show. And it was really about my me and my two co-hosts, which one was my brother um, and one was another um, a hip-hop artist. Um, so Victoria Stacasa and Shasta Mulai. And we were really just exploring like love and relationships on the show. Like how many people can we get? How many guests can we get in here to talk to us about like their different lifestyles? And can we, then we would talk about like, could we live like that? And so we were like, let's get behind the scenes of porn. Let's find out how people... So you were not yet in porn at that point? Mm-mm. No, mm-mm. I was not. I was doing these um, like sexy, sexy toy parties and pole parties. And like I had did some like stripping, like, like I told you before, like really touch and go. Um, and so on this radio show, we had Cinnamon Love, who is now I'm like, her. Yeah, yeah, working super closely yeah. with her with the BIPOC committee. And, um, and we had Hassan Salam, which is King's, um, King's, you know, other name, his hip hop music name. And 
my brother was like, yeah, yeah, this guy, he's in hip hop, we're friends. And he also is known to do porn. Like, let's get him on the show. And we were talking about like, how do you navigate relationships in porn? The first question I asked him in my like non-porn civilian vanilla voice, I was just like, how do you not get AIDS? Like, I just need to know how do you guys not have all have STDs? Because when I watch porn, everybody's fucking everybody with no protection. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about talent yeah, testing. Yeah, yeah. How small the industry really is. And he like explained it to me. And then um, he explained some of the other work that he was doing as an activist. And I was just like, oh my gosh. This man, I, I never seen him at this point in time. I should let tell oh you. Oh my god, that. It was a phone interview. <laughs> I was driving. I was like one of those like our schedules are all crazy. I was like driving over this bridge, talking to this man. I'm like, oh, so like he's probably like way better, more tested than I've ever been in my life, right? He's like totally aware of of like um, you know STDs and and consent and all this stuff, and he's doing all this like built a a, a school in in um, Guinea Bissau. Africa like he's like doing all these amazing things and I had all of these judgments and like these um very very limited views of what people in the porn industry are actually Mm -hmm. like part of that is because of the stereotypes that are in porn yeah every time you you see a a porn actress it's like she doesn't have two brain cells that will meet each other that's what's marketed you know and the men forget they start from their neck and they end at their dick. Like they're not even full. They're a torso, let alone a whole torso that is like act like an activist and doing things in the whole world. Um, and so I was like, oh my God, like I feel so stupid. And this guy sounds really interesting. So at the end of, of our interview, like with every guest, I type a little like, thank you for coming to our show and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like looking at his picture, like, oh my God. And he's so fine. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and so he messaged me back and, um, he was like, I'm really interested in the kind of parties that you're doing. I'm like coming out of retirement. And, and so I was just like, okay, you know, and, and so we started to work together first. Um, and in doing these parties, he would like be my male perspective for these sex toy parties. And he was doing like erotic touch massages and helping women like identify touch that they like and articulating their needs. Um, and so, yeah, we started working together and our romantic relationship just grew over time. Mm -hmm. Wow. And wow. I, wow. That's so not what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, did you, and then you guys, I think you mentioned to me before that you guys are polyamorous. We are. Yeah. He's actually, mm -hmm. he's a poly person. He's the poly person and uh, we have a poly relationship, but he's definitely the one who, um, has the capacity to have multiple lovers. He's the one who really wants to be able to have, you know, the more of the freedom to be able to explore all types were of you, relationships. Mm-hmm. Were you like, before you met him, were you like, had you only been in monogamous relationships? Yeah. Um, I had only been in monogamous relationships, but they all were, they all had like a five year shelf life. <laughs> when I, when I look back, I was a serial monogamous. Um, and I, when I look back at those relationships, probably at the two year marker, I was like, can I really be with this person for the rest of my life? And I would always like challenge myself, like you could do it, you could do it, you could do it. And so in retrospect, I really was having these conversations about not being monogamous with myself for a long time. Um, but I just didn't know what, alternatives there were and and surely like how was I going to even offer make this option available to my partner without them thinking no that's 
Yeah. I'm cheating on them or, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. Or a pervert, like we said before. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So with him, you know, we made it really clear at the beginning of our relationship. He was like, I am polyamorous and I don't want to be in a relationship that is going to try to force me into monogamy. Um, and I was, and I said, like, I don't know what amorous or alias or whatever I am at mm-hmm. this point in time, but I know that I don't want to be responsible for anyone's complete needs. Like, I don't want to be responsible for anyone's emotional needs, physical needs. I, I don't want to be your primary source because, um, honestly, at, at that time, I had two younger children. Now I have three. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I am a part of a very large family. I'm very connected to my friends and, I just did not want that kind of pull that I've had in relationships where you are every, that person's everything, you know, yeah, that's exhausting. <laughs> it's incredibly exhausting. And it, it's, it's not human in my opinion. I think, yeah. I'm with you. Like, I think, I think like I definitely grew up thinking that that's like kind of the definition of love. Like when you meet your yeah. other half, right. Yeah. Like, and right. you As are if you're not whole. everything. Yeah, exactly. And like, if, if they're, they don't fill every one of those needs for you, like they're not the one or whatever. Yeah, no, they so, are one of the, and, and that's okay. You know? So yeah. and, and for us, it's not even, you know, I have other, other partners, um, but for me, the re- those those relationships are much more much more casual, much more touch and go, much more. Um, and a lot of them are like dom sub relationships, so that there's okay. a certain level of distance that I get to keep from them, so I can keep like my my energy towards my primary source, which is me and my family. Um, yeah. For King, so so I consider myself like I'm a sexual opportunist. If it sounds like it's going to be a good <laughs> pleasurable time, like I go ahead and sign me up for it. Um, <laughs> For him, he's much more about the relationship building and long-term um, relationships with, with other people. And and I'm open to it also, but that's not like my primary stru- love structure. Does it, um, does it like, okay, like I, I don't, I, I guess I don't really know what I am either. Like I, I, I guess I've you. never really been. Yeah, I guess I'm me, right? I, but before the relationship I was in now, like I had never been in a fully monogamous relationship. But like that, I mean that more like sexually, I guess, like either I was in porn or we were in open relationship where we were like sleeping with other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, there's always like limits within all of that. But like, but like when I, when I think about like my partner being in like a loving emotional relationship with someone else, like mm-hmm. it drives me crazy with jealousy. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, is that something you overcame or is it something you never felt at all or? Oh, no, I, I, I have felt it and I feel it at certain points in times, um, in our Mm -hmm. relationship. I, I have, what I have overcome is how to look at it. Um, from the perspective of number one, him loving someone else doesn't withdraw love from me. Like there is no part that's so hard for me to fathom. (laughs) It is. It may withdraw time from me. Right. Mm -hmm. But but time is different than love. Like I spend less time with my mother since I've become like a, you know, a full adult. I have not, I've gained love for her, you know, yeah, as I've gotten, yeah. or I have not lost love. Um, And, and looking at loving relationships is just that they are just loving relationships. He has lots of loving relationships that are not intimate necessarily. Well, that are not sexually intimate or romantic. Like he loves his mother. I don't feel threatened by that. 
He loves his friends, yeah. you know? Um, and, and why, why is that? It is because again, we place so much emphasis on this. Like there can only be so much like sex and there can only be so much romance. Oh, there's so much unlearning to be done. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And I'm so happy that we, we get to do it right. That we don't have to live yeah. our, you know, live our lives in, in just the way that we were originally taught. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you know, so, so when I am jealous, the way that I reframe it is why. What, what, what is someone getting that I want? And a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, it'll be like him going out on a date and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Have fun. Have fun. And then he actually goes and I'm like sitting around, like I'm fucking bored. I don't have any plans. (laughs) What are they doing? What are they eating? This is not fair. It's only not fair because I don't have anything to do. You know, it's the not fair. It's the not fair. It's Mm -hmm. the principle of the thing, right? Which makes it. And that, that yeah. has to do with me. It doesn't yes, have to do. And, yeah. There you go. So right. um, for, you know, our, our kind of discussion around it is um, for him, I explained to him is that I am perfectly okay with you having a million relationships, but it is important that my needs are met. And these are my mm-hmm. needs. Can you meet my needs? Um, and I, and, and these are the primary things that like, you know, it's kind of like, I'll look at these kind of relationships, like, like with my kids, um, I don't, you can go hang out with your friends, but you, the, the, your room needs to be clean. The dishes need to be done. If my needs in this household are met, then I am perfectly fine with what you're doing out there because that has nothing to do with meeting my needs. Um, and so that's kind of how we, and, and my needs change our needs as, yeah. as, as, um, when, when I was pregnant, I was like, I need you present. I need you physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, everything present. So we need to kind of like close up our external relationships. Now our our boy is big and, 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 you know, we have, um, we have more shared responsibility. So I, I don't, I don't need to suck up that much of his time and attention. Oh my God. I love that you just said that because I think that's something that like, we don't fucking talk about at all is like, as women, we carry so much of the load during pregnancy and in those yeah. first couple of years. Oh my right? gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know how many conversations I had with my husband about like, I'm doing everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. truth is like in the beginning, like they can you only are. do some, like you're, right. you literally have to do everything. Right. Like you're mm-hmm. physically carrying the baby, you're feeding the yeah. baby. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things like only you can do yeah. um, mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to your partner. So I think, that's really interesting that like you say your needs change and that's yes. okay. Yeah. And, and that's part of the like talking, right? Making your needs known because if I was going by the standards of pre-pregnancy where I was like, yeah. you know, out and about doing my thing, yeah, and, yeah, um, I don't care. And then realizing like, wait a minute, something has shifted. I need to yeah. talk to my partner about this because otherwise it is going to be nine months of me like, Oh, I need your time. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. You know? And so, um, and like now, like now, for example, where we are spending a whole, like we're, we're socially isolated, isolated together. We're spending a lot of time with each other in each other's face, but still needing to nurture other relationships. So sometimes mm-hmm. he'll be like, you know, I'm going to go outside and, get on a call, you know, with whatever, like whoever, you know, he's talking with or, Oh, like I've been flirting with this person online and that type of thing. Like this is important to his, this is who he is. So it is important that he also has a space. I noticed that 
because my needs are being met day in and day out, I haven't had like an ounce of jealousy or an ounce yeah, of yeah, yeah. insecurities because um, he is completely like over meeting my needs because we're like on top yeah. of each other right now. So, <laughs> You're like, like, please go, go take talk that to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder, like, do you think that it's possible for, because it sounds like when you and King met, like you were already like kind of this, I don't know what the word is, but like more open to like the idea of, you know, poly, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I I would say the majority of society right now is probably like straight up monogamous. We've been raised to think there's no other way and anything else is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, do you think it's and and, and, you know, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay for people to just want to be monogamous. Like, of course, that's like its own thing, too. But like, do you think it's possible for like someone who's polyamorous to, if a polyamorous person and a monogamous person fall in love, is, is it doomed? I don't think so. Unless one of them changes. I don't think so. I don't, I think, um, I think that part of like, if some, one of them changes, that's the, that's the part that's going to get you in trouble because I don't, okay. I don't, um, I think it is super like you are, it is doomed if you think that you can get the other party to change. If it happens oh. naturally, right? If yeah. it happens naturally, um, or even somebody who's poly can always have like poly, poly ideas, poly values, but maybe never even engage with another person because they're satisfied with their one partner. Sometimes yeah. just knowing that you have the choice and the option yeah. is freeing enough. You yeah. know, um, the same thing with a, a monogamous person. It, I think here, here's, here, here would be my like initial advice to, to, to a couple that I don't even know, but I'm just like, yeah, 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 they're yeah. listening in right now. Your, your relationship makeup is your relationship makeup. It is, this is what I need to, to thrive in, in an intimate relationship. Um, a lot of those needs don't have anything to do with what your partner may be doing with someone else. You know, again, it's like, I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to help you understand who I am. And I think once we rel- relinquish control of our partners and just mm-hmm. keep keep sharing what our needs are. And so when I if I say to you like Asa, I need you not to see your other partner. I am trying to control you. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I say Asa, I need a lot of love and attention from you. I am focusing. I am centering my needs. Mm-hmm. which can be done in a poly relationship. You know, um, a lot of people have poly relationships and, and they're not having sex with their other partners. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the need to flirt, right. Mm. Or the need to um, be able to have like, uh, um, uh, you know, it's like people will say like, I don't trust my man to have a girl best friend, you know, like things like that. Maybe it is that your partner needs to be able to have meaningful relationships with men and women and, you know, and trans people and all kind of non-binary people outside of, of you. Um, so mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we think of monogamy and polyamory, we go straight to like my partner sleeping with or my partner. Yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. With. And we don't really explore all of the other potential models of what that relationship can look like and and we live in the gray in again in every other option we're like that's extreme one or the other yeah yeah i'm sort of in the middle but we don't look at our relationships that way because that's how we've been taught 
I really tell That's people like so to look, look at yeah. your friendships, look at your family relationships. Do you get jealous when your partner goes to hang out with his cousins and you're not invited? If you do, it's probably not about relationship style. It's about your own insecurities that you need yeah. to work on on your own. It's a you thing. Um, yeah. And I yeah. even think that about like cheating, like, you know, like, like a lot of you know, people will be like a serial cheater or whatever. And then we'll like be really quick to like label them something like a sex yeah. addict or whatever, yeah. you know, just casually, not in a medical sense. But like, <laughs> I think, like, I would say most of the my friends that I know that like cheat a lot, like they're, in fact, all of them, like, it's not like a sex thing. It's not like, they're not looking. It's not that they're so horny that they no. always end up cheating. No. It's that they're like, need a certain kind of love or a certain mm-hmm. kind of attention or a certain mm-hmm. kind of validation. Yeah. That's exactly. when they cheat, right? Like it's yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely, um, completely agree with you. And a lot of times that ownership is what, what messes us up. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the more you're looking at a person from the perspective of you own them, um, or even from the perspective of like, they're not allowed to change. They're not allowed to grow and expand, um, have new desires like you're really in for a lot of disappointment when you're not giving your partner space to grow in any direction. And yeah. it's okay if you're, if, if what, where they're going um, is not for you. I think that, that like fear of losing, but here's the thing. If you have fear of losing something that doesn't serve you again, it's not the thing it's you. Yeah. Why would you yeah. want to hold on to something that no longer serves you? Um, yeah. And I know it's hard. I, I always say like, breakups are not really bad things. Like it's an option of a relationship. If it no longer serves you or you are no longer compatible um, and you can't strike that balance, then breaking up is like one of the healthier things that we tend, that we actually can do in, in our relationships. Yeah. yeah. I look at for it sure. as always a viable option for sure. Yeah. I've already kept you for an hour, but there's like one more topic. I really yeah, want yeah. Come on, do you have time? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you talk a lot about sex positive parenting. You even have a page about it. And like, I think it's, it's one of your, it's one of like the things I can see that you're very, very passionate about, yeah. you know, being a mother, a sex worker, um, a sex educator, all of these things. Like, Definitely. and I am newly a parent. Mm-hmm. And like, so I guess, I guess I want to start by asking like, what, what do you, how do you define sex positive parenting? Yeah, it's really just having healthy attitudes and behaviors uh, um, around sex, giving children language and space, healthy, mm-hmm. age appropriate space for sex exploration and centering pleasure um, it's instead of punishment for our children when it comes to sex. Uh, oh, that's so hard for me yeah. to like. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And of course, I want my kid to grow mm-hmm. up like thinking sex for pleasure is normalized but I did not grow up like that like at all and Mm -hmm. I'm still dealing with so much of that now like I'm 35 Mm -hmm. and I'm like still like you know undoing all all that shame like Mm -hmm. did you grow up in a very positive household nope not at all yeah (laughs) not at all it was um very um 
we Catholic, uh, first generation American. Like we, my mother was very, very conservative with respect to, and not even conservative. There was shame. The, like, we didn't yeah. have, we didn't use the, the appropriate language for our body. Yeah. Um, it was like, that's like, that's nasty. Go clean up down there. Don't touch down there. You know, like all of these, like mm-hmm. the, just the tone was like, my vagina was irritating her from like, <laughs> yeah. Know? And, um, and I, I like to think about sex positive parenting from this perspective. Like you said it earlier, we have so much to unlearn. And if yeah. you're willing to to unlearn and relearn with your children, um, you're you're already like a hundred percent changing the direction of or breaking the cycle that many of us grew up with, which is unhealthy sex attitudes, um, sexual attitudes and behaviors. So a lot of parents are like trying to like be different without changing themselves. Like they're trying to educate their children differently without doing the work themselves. And so I really Mm. say reflect on how you were raised. What part of of your upbringing around sex was it non-existent? So how are you going to make it exist? Was it like very, very like, uh, like I was saying, like angry, like angry and irritated words around sex and sexuality. How are you going to bring comfort and and inviting words? Like trying to literally undo the things that were done to you that did not serve you, or you find yourself like at thirty five. Like why am I like having all of this shame and judgment around this? Mm-hmm. Um, other things that are important about being a sex positive parent is like. Your first reaction, I, I, I say this is my mother's reaction, right? So it's usually whoever gave you the shame, right? So my first reaction is my mom, the church, and uh, advertisements. The mm-hmm. second reaction is my actual reaction. The third one is who I want to become. Right. So with my daughters, it makes that like my first reaction, like with my first kid, when I found out like that she had watched porn, I was like, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Who watches that? You know, that's that's my mother's worth. The second was like, honey, I'm sorry that I yelled at you, but we really need to talk about this. It's dangerous what you're doing online. It can really, you know, like all of these clinical Mm -hmm. words. And then the third reaction is like when I like synthesize, okay, I'm doing this child damage. I have not unlearned my mother's ways. Who do I want to become? That sounds like, listen, there's nothing wrong with pornography, but there is something wrong with you accessing it before the legal age, right? Mm -hmm. If you're interested about how your body works, like I can actually give you some books, some videos, um, or we can even talk about some of those Mm -hmm. things. You can't visit any site that says 18 and up. That we mm-hmm. can't do. Do you have questions for me, babe? Like, do you, um, are you, you know, did, how did it make you feel watching that stuff? You know, are, do you have any concerns about what you saw? That to me, like that third reaction is where I want to be because I did, I don't shame the child. I don't, and I also don't shame porn because there really is nothing wrong with porn at all, but it's not for children. You know, I and it's love that that you said that, and you you actually told me that before about like the three voices, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. told my mom, Good. and I think she was, I think she was a little offended. My mom's like not okay. a very, like, yeah, but like it was, you know, we we still laughed about yeah. it, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. But I I I really love that because yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's how can it the the things that we were raised with like how can they not be ingrained in us like how. Can that yeah. not be your like initial reaction? Exactly. And, 
I think for me, like one of the main messages I got growing up is masturbation is bad. Like I remember <laughs> even like being, I remember masturbating so, so, so young, not to come or anything, yeah. but just cause it felt it's good, good to touch my vagina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. like it feels good to scratch my head or whatever. Right. And I remember like my mom making such a big deal out of it. And I remember like she, f- for a while, like she didn't want me to go to sleep with the covers on me because she knew the second the covers went up, like I would not going to do <laughs> and which I was going to do. Yes, mm-hmm, she was correct. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the message mm-hmm. I received is mm-hmm. it's bad. Yeah. So like, yeah. I think like when I think of, I definitely don't want to pass that on to my kid. I want to make masturbation the most like natural thing ever, but I guess like, and I would imagine a lot of people have this fear, maybe not, but like my fear is like, how do I like? How do I know I'm not being like the creepo parent? You know, mm, <laughs> I'm like go mm-hmm. masturbate. Like you can do it. Like I don't want to be that either. So, like, so what? That, that 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 makes perfect sense, right? Um, <laughs> and it is that fine line of be, feeling comfortable, not feeling awkward, um, mm-hmm. pushing our pushing our children towards being healthy, but not pushing them out of their comfort zone either. Yeah, you know, and people always ask, "What's the right age to talk to your kids?" Like. Yeah. So there is no right or wrong age because every child is presents very different, right? Like I have like mm-hmm. my 16 year old is very different than what my older 16 year old was mm-hmm. like, you know, so to, to, to be like, oh, like we have to have this talk right at 15. For one kid, it's going to be like, oh, hun- like mom, you're late. And for the other kids, they're like, oh, mom, like too soon. I'm not, not even thinking about yeah. that. So you do have to like kind of like gauge your children. But I think the best thing is like, Sexual exploration happens naturally. We really don't need to um, prop it up or, or, you know what I mean? Like we don't really need to prop it up or, or need to take it away. We just need to be, uh, be prepared for it to happen naturally and to give our children Mm. like those boundaries, like give our children safe boundaries for it. So it may sound like, um, like how your mom was taking, taking away from, from your own natural exploration Mm -hmm. it may be more like okay i know my child is in there masturbating so instead of going in there and pulling the covers off and shaming this child i am going to help create safe boundaries so i might go to your room and say asa close your door um when you're in your bed with your covers over you you need to keep your door closed when you're done Mm -hmm. so i'm not even saying like when you're done doing Mm -hmm. that nasty thing down there you know (laughs) um when you're finished you know and and even we can even use words when you're finished pleasuring yourself you need to wash your hands and Mm -hmm. rejoin us um there's those kids that like rub up on the furniture and it's like okay okay like you cannot you can't hump the furniture um there's still boundaries there's still boundaries right so that's the thing that i would say like a sex positive parent doesn't mean your kids just run amok um Mm -hmm. it means like like for example people say like do you let your kids have sex in in your home and no i'm not comfortable with that I am not comfortable with you bringing somebody else's child that I don't know that where their parents stand on, you know, what their values are. And I am not sure what, like, are you guys using protection? Are you emotionally prepared? Like, there's a lot to this for me to be hosting your sex party, right? So like, no, (laughs) so no, I'm not comfortable with that, but I am comfortable with you sharing, sharing a certain level of space. Um, yeah, you can be upstairs in your room, but I would like to be in earshot of what's going on because I still do have a duty to protect 
my child and any anybody else's child that's coming over, right? Yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah, your responsibility. You know, yeah, but yeah, these conversations can sound a lot a lot different without us being like the creepo parents. So another thing too is like people will say like, so do you let your kids watch porn? Like, no, it's illegal for children to watch. Yeah, you know, so no, that's that's not an option. It's not an option for anybody's family, as far as I'm concerned. But like, mm-hmm. if there's like we're watching um, a regular like TV show that is, is showing something that's like super, super sexy. I use that as material to say like, Oh, like look at her getting it on, you know? And, and like um, where I was a kid, I would get in trouble if I didn't cover my eyes fast enough mm-hmm. for something that adults put me in front of. Like I didn't actually yeah. watch Dallas at, Eight like, years what old, a right? mixed <laughs> message. Yeah. I don't know. Like, am I supposed to? You know, you told me I can't go play, but now I, you know, like, I don't know what to do. So for my kids, I might say, like, oh, this is a pretty racy scene. Like, if you want to look away, feel free to, right? Permission, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, acknowledging that this might make you feel a certain way. It's making mommy feel a certain kind of way. So it's natural if you are also. Um, it's like yeah. a great excuse to have that conversation or even it's to right gauge there. if that conversation is like on even the horizon relevant. right now. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I love that. Um, do your, do your, it sounds like your kids know you do Yeah, more. they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like how, like when do you, I guess, like you said, every, every kid, it would be a different age to yeah. see like when they're ready for that. But like, mm-hmm. how does that conversation happen? Like, so it's been, it's been ongoing when I started doing like the toy parties, I used to have like this huge suitcase with like dildos and vibrators and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff in it. And, you know, kids are nosy, especially if girl children, like they're always going through your stuff to like wear your shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, honestly, I guess it's the same for any child. Um, and so having like boundaries, like, so you girls, that bag is for my parties that I do with the ladies, you know? And they're like, what's in there? Adult toys. What are adult toys? Toys that adults use to feel good. Um, much like your toys, but the only difference is these are for adult women. And, you know, they're like, I want to look in your bag. I'm like, do I go in your toy chest and look through your stuff? Do I open your new toys? No, you do that. So, you know, boundaries. Normalize Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. It's adult toys. You And, and like, now that my daughter is um, 19 years old, like, we have full conversations about toys. Because I didn't shame them. I didn't make them secret from, from jump. Same thing with porn. I don't want my kids discovering me online. I don't want them yeah. to to grow up and be like, you, everything you told me was a lie because you didn't yeah. even tell me this truth about yourself. So no, it the conversation has been like, this is what I'm deciding to do with my life and my career. I'm put. I'm making you aware. I'm not asking yeah. you permission. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I guess doing it from the like, like you said, from the jump, but always keeping it age appropriate, right? Yeah, like, I guess absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like you make movies, but for adults, yeah, right, right. Before you start saying, you know, oh, I do porn, or I'm doing a, this kind of shit. Like, yeah. I, I'm, we're at the point where my my children are at a particular age now that I can say. Um, I have to go and get my feet done today because I'm doing something specific for foot fetishes. Like they understand mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. word fetish. They kind of have an understanding that people like particular things and I meet those needs. Um, mm-hmm. That feels comfortable right now for where my teenagers are. But the, are they the, like, are they like, are they like, I I'm, I have no idea what it's like to be raised like that. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Are, are they, they like, like, yeah, like oh I can't God. even fathom it. Yeah. Like, are they... 
when I think of my parents having sex, I want to, I want to die. <laughs> like, like, do they feel the same or differently or like what, how yeah. does that turn out? I think, um, I think they are just like any other kid. Like they have no, absolute no interest in knowing, um, that, that we have sex, but they say things also like you guys need to have another baby, like get on it. Right. So, <laughs> so they know oh, we do. I'm so jealous that that's a comfortable thing. Well, so am I. Like this is not my this is not my upbringing. I'm like, you know how lucky you kids are, you know. (laughs) Um, But but the the cool thing is when when I mentioned unlearning and learning with them is that there is some beauty in being able to have like this freedom and being able to see it through the your clones. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. It's like living vicariously through them and setting up a a a safe life for them for me to even have this experience. But yeah, so they they definitely like don't want to see it, don't want to hear about it. And yeah, I don't want to talk to them about it either. Right. Cause it's like my yeah. personal business, but, um, but it is, it, it's comfortable. Like, you know, my, my old, my youngest daughter, when I first started to explain like the fetish stuff, cause like we had like this, like something so weird. We had like a huge box full of balloons that were being used for my balloon fetishes, my lunars. And my daughter was like, I want to blow them up. Oh, no. And I'm like, no, I need those for work. And she's like, Hold on. Hold on. Like, I knew about the, like, sexy pole dancing video thing. And I knew about the therapy thing. What the fuck? You're a clown, too, you know? <laughs> and I, that, like, so I had to, like, explain, like, the fetish behind it. Yeah. And so when I started explaining fetishes to her, she was like, people pay for that? That's dumb. Ew. Who would want to see your feet? You know, like, and, and so, like, that was her reaction. And that's fine. That was appropriate to her. And then yeah. she's like, but how much do they pay? And I was like, you know that lacrosse, uh, that lacrosse program you want to do this summer? She's like, oh, carry on, <laughs> you know. So for her, it's about earnings. And for most of our kids, any job that we do, they don't give a shit about your spreadsheets, your emails, what yeah, position yeah, yeah, yeah. you hold in your co- company. They want to know if you could buy yeah. their new toys. That's yeah. what they want to know. They want to know that their world is stable. Yeah. And, and that's what we've been able to, to do. It's like, you don't need to know the details of my job. You don't even want to know the details of my job. But do you want to know that you're going to be safe and secure? Yeah. Okay. It seems also like, I, I mean, just like listening to that, I think like for me, the biggest thing I need to learn is how to treat it like it's actually normal, which it is, and not shameful, which it's not. Which but it's like, not. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. the unlearning, right? I think like, yeah. it, it sounds like every conversation you have, it just like, it just sounds so normal as if you're talking about your job in At an HR other firm or like whatever. Yeah, it is. And so, you know, when we say, you know, sex work is work. Yeah. Like we really have to treat it that way. We really, really yeah. do. If you were a secret service, a secret service agent um, or a Navy SEAL or something like that, like or, or whatever, there will be some aspects of your work that you could not discuss with your with your family, but you mm-hmm. would to discuss like the context of your work so that yeah, they understood yeah. like why you don't share. Um, but there will be so many aspects of your job that you could share that your family doesn't want to, they don't fucking care. They're like, are you still getting yeah. paid? Are you still getting paid? Yeah. Do you have benefits? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. It, it's, I guess I, I guess I still think that everything is just so, I, I mean, sex is sensationalized, right? It so, is. Like, I am still mm-hmm. under this spell that like sex yeah. is, and and we all do think sex is extra interesting and mm-hmm. 
different and and wrong i guess like right. a lot because of we like that, because so. we have stigmatized it you yeah know? yeah you i think you're like a perfect human being oh <laughs> god you are so wrong do not no. put that pressure on me i rebuke that in the name of Pornhub. I, <laughs> I just like i don't know i'm like so fascinated and like oh man i just like admire you so much thank you i'll accept that thank you perfect (laughs) i will not (laughs) but um thank you so much for like giving us your time and i i don't know every conversation i have with you like ends up just i i just learned so much awesome i I appreciate that thank you so much (laughs) um where can people see more of you like where Mm -hmm. so i in all of your all of my glory, all of my glory is definitely on Pornhub, Jet Setting Jasmine. Um, I am working. Oh, really wait, can really- I, before, before yeah. I move on, can I just ask one thing? Yeah, of um, Not as deep of a question. Where does the name Jet Setting Jasmine come from? <laughs> from that first radio show that I was telling you about. I was um, traveling a lot. Like every time I, t- I dialed in for, it was a weekly podcast. And every time I dialed in, I was in like some other city or country because of the, kind of the work that I was doing at the time. And, and then the, the, my brother, he was just like, Oh, Jet City Jasmine. I was like, you know, what? I like that name. Let's like go ahead and manifest travel in my life. So, so here it is. And, and becoming like somewhat of a global phenomenon. So it's like speaking it into existence, speaking it into yeah. existence. Um, it is such a radio name. Isn't it's it? not a typical porno Jack. name. No, yeah. it's not. It's not at all. Um, but but that that kind of tells you like I didn't kind of go into this um, knowing exactly where it would end up. But, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yes, Jessica and Jasmine. Um, I'm really building up my OnlyFans right now with the rest of the amazing content creators. So you can find me at Jet Set Jasmine on there. Um, and then everything else is on JetSendingJasmine.com. You can find everything from our um, our films, Royal Fetish Films, to the therapy service that I offer. So it's kind of like a hub for all of our links. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. So JetSendingJasmine.com. You got it. It's mm-hmm. kind of for all things Jet Setting Jasmine. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.